This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prati will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is July 21st. Uh, markets so far, really, we are at five months positive in a row if we end out July. And I just kind of wanted to read this because I found it interesting is that of the 137 trading days so far, 74 have been positive, 63 have been negative. But the 10 best days have provided uh, a return of 17.4% or about 96% of this total increase. So, you know, we've just seen some wild gyrations. Tech and tech adjacent names are still 39% of the index uh, and we're in earnings season. So, yeah, like with that, Tim, let's kind of open it up. Yeah. It's been a melt-up. It's been the wildest melt-up I've ever seen, just in that, you know, I understand the idea that it it feels like a soft landing, that inflation maybe has come down faster than growth has, though I wouldn't say there's that much of a discernible difference. Uh, and I, you know, there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some stickiness to the inflation that's left, like wage inflation and services inflation. Uh, and obviously we've talked, we talked last week and, uh, when we did the recording for the quarterly piece, uh, about the base effects that, you know, inflation, uh, compares start to get, however you want to say it, easier, harder, they're going to produce higher numbers. Uh, and oil is starting to work its way higher again. But sorry, that's a long digression. What we're really talking about is the S&P, and earnings are not going up. As a matter of fact, we've just started with tech earnings so far, and they've been terrible. They've been double-digit negative in EPS. Yeah. I mean, look, the bar was low for this quarter. I've seen seven. I've seen down nine uh, in terms of expectations. Most companies will beat and all that. But it certainly feels like as we've got started in tech, You've got guides and, and uh, you, you've got um, not very strong numbers and you've got guide downs. SAP wasn't that good. IBM wasn't that good. Uh, Netflix wasn't that good. Um, so it's, 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 you know, but the market really stays resilient. None of this is about, has been about EPS. This has all been about multiple expansion and multiple expansion on the idea I assume that we're going to have kind of a hockey stick lift to earnings, you know, I don't see why that would happen. I just don't get what the market is looking at, honestly. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But but boy, it's been a wild melt up. Yeah, the bar was already so low, right? I mean, expecting numbers, like you said, 9% drop of profits. The U.S., maybe 12 in Europe uh, from earnings. Um, yeah, and so far, I mean, so we'll wrap up at the end of August, but it's been mostly bleak numbers. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the path to lower inflation without a recession uh, you know consensus seems to change we've talked about this but you know you had fed president austin goolsby say on friday that inflation can be tamed without a recession um, paul krugman had a lengthy op-ed we've seen goldman sachs revive the odds of a u.s recession um, from 25 to 20 percent over the next 12 months so uh you know things have definitely started trending that way at least from from market analysis and pundits yeah. You know, I, I was surprised. Not surprised. I don't know. Goldman's got other motivations than getting the forecast completely right on on the economy. Sure. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I put out a blurb on on LinkedIn earlier today on the LEIs and the LEIs are from the conference board. They're not created or, or cherry picked by some pundit. 
Uh, and what the LEIs tell you is that the economy is getting weaker. With the amazing thing is the thing that's holding up the LEIs uh, at all, and they're down negatively. They're down. They're down in a way that we've never had the LEI this week and not had a recession. But the only thing like holding the LEI from being even worse is the S&P, which itself yeah. is, a, is a leading indicator. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I, and I think the most important thing is the shape of the curve. What does the shape look like? Look, it, 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 could we have a super deep recession? Maybe, I guess. I don't I don't know. I don't you know, I, I still think that. Uh, accumulated savings, demand for services, a tight labor market, real wages, like those are all really good things. I think that probably prevent us from having a super deep recession. But the question is, what does it look like on the other side of that? And you know my view is that we have enough persistent wage inflation and a low enough potential growth rate, potential growth of only 1%, uh, that this is going to be a pretty L-shaped recovery from probably a pretty shallow recession. That doesn't suggest to me that um, that makes sense to get a lot of multiple expansion. When, when we know that the long-term outlook for growth uh, and the potential of earnings growth is far lower. You know, I mentioned that Fed paper the other day by the guy Michael Smolianski. Uh, how about that pronunciation, by the way? Uh, that... You know, 40% of EBIT growth since 1989 has been from uh, has been from from lower taxes and lower interest expense, and all of the uh, multiple expansion, arguably, is from a lower real rate. Look, you know, it, it it's from uh you know it's from a pundit, it's from Warren Buffett, uh, who said the cost of capital, the cost of that real rate is everything when you think about making an investment, and for tech to be ripping when the when the probability of real rates going higher and staying higher has never been greater in the last 20 years, it just it makes you want to shake your head and it's humbling. What do you think in terms of indicators? I mean, we've got obviously unemployment out there, still 1.6 million. Uh, well, I should say there's 1.6 jobs available for every um, you know hire, yep. and the fact that we got 84 percent. Prime age workers are now in the labor force. So people mm -hmm. between the age of 25 and 54. So yeah. there has to be, seems to be a lot more slack in the labor market in order for things for to cool down a little bit. Yeah, there's no slack at all. As you said, you make a very good point. With, with the important thing that COVID did is it pulled forward the demographic problem because it 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 led to more over 55 year olds for various reasons leaving the workforce. So, but when you have a demographic problem like we do of too many over 55 year olds and not enough young people coming into the labor force, you end up with a situation where even with 84% participation, not that far off the old highs, which I think were in like the 2010, 2011 period, um, you still have a labor market that's way too tight. That 1.6 number on jolts, um, you know, people say, well, maybe that's an exaggerated number and all that, but why would it be more exaggerated than it was historically? Um, but you know, that 1.6 number is above where, uh, it has been at the peak of previous cycles and that's coming in from 2.0. You know, I always reference that FNFIB number where they talk about, uh, how 45% of their member companies, small businesses around the country, have jobs that are unfilled. I was with a buddy of mine uh, who does uh, window installations. He does window film installations. A lot of it is security, smash and grab, all that. All he ever bitches about to me is that he can't find enough workers. I mean, anybody and everybody who knows 
people who own a small business, they can't find enough workers. Uh, and yet we're in an economy that really isn't growing very fast, right? GDP is positive. GDI has been negative. The aggregate of both. We are, we are moving along at a little bit below potential growth, which is only one, one and a half percent. So we're basically bobbing along at around zero to one percent real growth while nominal growth comes down as inflation comes down. Uh, and yet, Job market's still, still pretty tight. I think that just makes this cycle really, really different. And it's one of those things where, you know, the something like the leading economic indicators can miss, right, when there's a secular change. And this is a really important secular change. And I think it's long-term inflationary like anybody who's listened to me talk about this uh, would know. So UBS came out with 10 reasons why we haven't seen a recession yet. I was wondering if we could kind of go through them and uh, see your thoughts on a line item. Sure. A good friend of mine is the director of research at UBS, so I'll make sure he listens to my thoughts on their analysis. <laughs> Might be a consensus view. Um, number one is monetary policy isn't all that tight yet. Yeah. I, I think Neil Dutta at Renaissance Macro, I wrote an essay about how he's been right. He's been really very good. Uh, that basically you didn't start tightening until fairly recently. You only got real rates positive. You know, the old Taylor rule is that the Fed's got to get rates above the rate of inflation for it start to matter for real rates to be positive. And that's happened fairly recently. So uh, I, I think it's not so much that uh, now real rates, Tate's rates are tighter. And I think it's starting to make a difference. And I think you see that in consumer credit demand really starting to fall off. Uh, you know, Capital One and American Express have reported in the last couple of days, and they both saw uh, weakening consumer credit demand. Government spending's back on the rise. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, the craziest chart out there is manufacturing construction. There was a, and that's all due to the IRA and the CHIPS Act. Look, my Austrian friends won't like it, but the fact is, when I say Austrian friends, people who believe in sort of laissez-faire, leave-it-alone economics won't like it, but this has been an incredibly uh, successful program, the IRA and the CHIPS Act, because it's created so much private investment. And you see construction, you know, new housing construction is strong, but existing rehab and, and, and all that is not that strong. Architectural or buildings are down and all that. But the one part of uh, construction, and I really should say manufacturing, the one part of manufacturing that is really off the charts besides the new home side is uh, electronics, is, is, the, is the construction of fabs and battery facilities uh, all over the country. So that has been huge. I saw an analysis the other day that said it's been 20% of, it's been a 20% addition to incremental G, to GDP. So that that is no doubt about it. Uh, strong savings are fueling consumption. 100%, but they're starting to get exhausted. You know, I, I, I said to, I had a conversation with Torsten Slock earlier where, you know, he had three really positive things and all of them had the word still in them about mm -hmm. the economy. And, 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 you know, look, for the bottom 80%, and I'm citing Fed data, you're pretty much exhausted. It's only the top 20% of the economy that has still got money to spend. They'll continue to have money to spend. But uh, you see credit quality start to deteriorate. You you know, you saw it at BAML. You saw it at AXP. You saw it at, 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 at COF. It is happening. You know, consumer spending is slowing uh, as that accumulated savings is fading. Debt levels aren't too high. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. And again, that is um, the question is, how do debt levels feel uh, like we've had this surge in bankruptcies? That's because cost of capital has moved higher in a hurry. Um, so it's going to be pockets of the economy. These are aggregate numbers, right? These are averages. But consumer consumer debt levels definitely improved you know, with the with the largesse of the government during COVID. Uh, but that doesn't mean that in sectors of the economy, commercial real estate, et cetera, you're not going to see real problems as companies have to slowly adjust to their time term loans expiring and you know they have to they have to get new revolving debt. Credit conditions haven't tightened much. You know, boy, that 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 one seems to be in the eye of the beholder and who you ask. But it it, it strikes me that credit conditions have tightened. Um, uh, you know, in the in the senior uh, in the Fed loan senior Fed loan sir, what is it? The senior loan officer survey. Uh, they definitely ha have tightened. Um, but but if so, people are either walking away from asking for credit and in the NFIB. Getting credit wasn't a problem, but it seemed like the bigger issue was that more people knew what the cost of capital was, so they're not asking for more credit. And that just means that businesses will slow down, but you'll do without. You might want the money to expand if you could borrow money at 4%, but if the NFIB is right and the average cost of capital on new term loans is around 9.5% for small businesses, uh, you're just not asking for it. You're not interested. Uh, labor market remains robust. Kind of talked about that one. Um, no two ways go, about it. Uh, employment data trends are stabilizing. Yeah, you know, housing or economic is, data trends, I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say the consumer data trends are not stabilizing. I would say so. A lot of consumers. Uh, trends are, are accelerating to the down. We got weak retail sales. You've had really weak red book sales. You've had uh, weaker rev part hotels. So I think the consumer trends are slowing. Don't forget the labor trends lag. Uh, the NFIB has a very different labor commentary uh, than what you see from the non-farm payrolls. So, I, I, you know, you, you have seen the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker soften, um, you know, uh, weaker in uh, temp jobs. That's usually a leading indicator. So employment is softening. It's just softening slowly because you do have such a secularly tight labor market. Then um, eight sectoral downturns. Eight sectoral downturns? No, the I suppose the eighth eighth would be hit sectors downturns, which I'm guessing that it's been limited because you know we have services growth remain solid and oh, right. you know there's other yeah 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 and and I think that's right services yeah. you know services total labor is still below where we were in 2019 so labor is gonna stay tight uh, in the services sector you know it's it's wild though to see the kind of weakness that we've seen in freight night transportation which is a huge trucker you know they said they thought the floor for them on earnings about six months ago was four bucks now they're saying it's closer to two bucks I mean freight is a disaster and it doesn't strike me as possible that freight could be falling apart and seeing no demand and yet demand is robust around the economy i guess the last argument would be that the economy is less cyclical now maybe i mean this is you know look this is not going to be anything like 
the 2008 credit contraction, right? This was not, this was an income fueled, uh, maybe, you know, government fueled arguably, but an income fueled uh, excess demand environment from which we're tightening, not a credit fueled. So there's, there is reason to assume that this downturn won't look anything like the depths of the downturn in, um, uh, in 08, 09. And to an earlier point too about balance sheets, obviously bank balance sheets, are in far, far, far better shape and going to continue, it sounds like, uh, to add capital uh, with new regulatory regimes. Mm-hmm. And you even mentioned that, uh, too, in that recent in a recent blog, it's just that it was just, 08 was just so systematic that it'd be tough to envision, like, all the cards falling you know, if if we if we do get to do a double dip right now, well, it's just it's so, just housing is so important. Yeah, it's just yeah. so important to confidence. The, the knock on effects are so huge, um, and housing is not going to look anything like that. Oh eight cycle, we just don't have LTVs that are like that. Credit extension that's like that. You have the great wealth transfer in this in this cycle where you've got far more baby boomers bequeathing money to the next generation. Um, it's just all the dynamics are different. Uh, my view is what people can accuse me of being bearish, but it's not about the real need, near term that we're going to have some terrible cyclical downturn. My concern is the shape of the curve and that it's going to look pretty flattish coming out of this and inflation persistence is going to be real and there's going to be an under and I and I think that's where the risk then comes that you get real multiple uh, contraction because the 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 outlooks is just no way to justify you know these hockey stick estimates for 24 and 25 yeah right so I mean the argument's not necessarily total economic implosion it's just maybe years of a quasi stagflationary environment. Mild stagflation is the term that I like to use. Mild stagflation. All right, sounds good. Um, You think we missed anything this week, Tim? You know, I think it's just worth mentioning that, you know, Kissinger's been over to China, um, that Yellen has been over to China, Kerry's been sent uh, over to China, and pretty much every one of them has been told to pound sand in one Mm -hmm. way or another. You know, none of them. Um, there's nothing conciliatory coming out of the Chinese and that, that economic rebound continues to look worse, worse and worse. And you just wonder, uh, like we talked about again last week, the Hal Brands book, uh, uh, about is this the time when dictatorships like China do something, uh, from a military standpoint to drive some nationalism because they need it when the economy is really bad and when people are hurting and when you have 20% unemployment rates like you do in China. And I understand the accounting of that is a little different. There's some people who are still students and so forth and that, but still it's not a good situation. You have people not happy in China and you wonder if he's not opportunistic in Taiwan. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems like, um, you know, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I feel like that the whole world is pretty complacent about what Xi's intentions are here and what his time frame might be. Oh, I mean, they got their foreign minister who's been pretty much radio silent for four weeks. So maybe some family time. Um, who knows? <laughs> they uh, won't yeah. allow, you know, there's no communication. Uh, was uh, the Wall Street Journal that had a big piece about how, you know, we're really trying to open lines of communication to avoid accidents. Uh, and they just are unwilling to do so. It's not good. Oh, so we send a hundred year old Henry Kissinger to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's still an A-lister, but um, <laughs> hopefully something happens. 
All right. Sounds good, Tim. Um, thanks for all our listeners and subscribers. Uh, this, this, you know, will be Monday or Tuesday when we drop this, but uh, hope you had a good weekend and, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.